Father, these declarations of praise that have just been sung out to you, we trust in what your word tells us, God, that the prayers of your people will be heard by you and the things that we pray in your name in accordance with your will will be done. And we look to you to guide the instruction of your word today, not look to man to instruct us, but simply, God, trusting in you, trusting in your spirit to teach us and to expound the scriptures to us, to open our eyes to see the things that you desire for us to see today. God, I just pray that I'm obedient and faithful to your word. It is divided rightly and that you and you alone are glorified. Thank you that you are our ancient of days. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to the book of 3 John. Probably have an easier time finding it if you're not real familiar with navigating around in your Bible, going all the way to the back in Revelation and working your way back because it is one of the last books of the Bible. Only Jude is in between... 3 John and Revelation. So 3 John is just one page on my Bible, very short book but full of meaning and we've been one Sunday in this book already and Ray taught that teaching last week and we were able to listen in via Facebook Messenger and we were blessed by that teaching. So thank you for bringing that Ray and being faithful to God's word. I do want to go back to verse 1 and read the entire letter, so if you've made your way to that page, let's uh, read this together, just follow along with me. 3 John, beginning in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So I wanted to include the full text because the letter is a short one, but it's helpful to remind ourselves of what Ray discussed last Sunday because part of this teaching is going to be a comparison of a Christian character to a non-Christian character. And we'll get more into that, but let's remember that the beloved Gaius, he is called beloved by the Apostle John, that he is being encouraged to continue cultivating love for people. 
and practicing the truth and holiness. As we saw with 2 John, and we also continue in this teaching of 3 John, is that love and truth are conjoined twins, right? They cannot be separated. When we're talking or when teaching about a God-type love, which just is the agape love in Greek, a love that overcomes, a love that loves in spite of, that it is vital that you are connecting it to truth because without truth connected to it, it is not that kind of love. And you can see that love is what leads John to pray for Gaius. It is what is leading his letter to Gaius. He says, the elder, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. You see how John connects the love that he has for Gaius Gaius with the truth. And five times in that passage that y'all covered last week, the truth is brought in. Always connecting it back to the truth. And that's what our desire is, is to make sure that we are connecting everything that we teach here to God's truth. We see that John's proclamation of love is also his prayer of love for Gaius. He praises that Gaius that he has a love or he sees a love in him that is lived out in truth. That he is not just speaking truth, but he is walking in truth. He is walking and practicing truth in love. And that is seen in his obedience, his holy, godly living that is evident in how Gaius lives out his Christian walk. John exhorts him to continue in faithful service to the brethren loving and supporting the ministry through his hospitality. And we see that is something that John exhorts in Gaius in verses 5 through 8. Remember what Ray had said last week, that this isn't an entertainment type of hospitality where we bring you in and we drink and eat food together and play uh, games, but this is a warm hospitality. This is aiding someone in the ministry, in the work of the gospel. And he says to do it to both those who are known and those who are not known. That we have the body of Christ here locally, Carlsbad Bible Church, and we are to show warm hospitality to each other, but we also have those of like of the faith that are outside of these church walls that may come in, and we are to show them hospitality as well. We're to bring them in to our home. We're to give them a warm place to stay, and we're to show them support in the continuance of their ministry. And the motive of that support is not just seeking to attain some nearness to God or, for that matter, our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but it is motivated by a love that is in truth. And the like-minded goal of every believer is for the glory of Christ. That is the sincerity of our mission, or it should be. And that is also to follow the mandate from God to be co-laborers with him. That is our mission of truth. And so today we're going to be starting in verse 9, as I give my reading glasses a polish here, (laughs) seeing a little blurry spot. I hope that's my glasses. (laughs) All right, verse 9, come back there with me. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So John gives us a very strong contrast here to the character of Gaius, and that is seen in the character of this man who is named Diotrephes. So now we've gone from a description 
of one who is a faithful servant of God, one who demonstrates hospitality to others, one who loves in truth, now compared to Diotrephes, who we will see is an anti-Gaius, if you will. Everything that Gaius is, Diotrephes is not. Diotrephes is certainly not one who is loving others in truth, but he seems to be one who is part of a church congregation and has even been elevated to a position of leadership in the church, whether it is by his own doing or whether he has been elected by others to assume a title or a position in the church of leadership. Um, In a publication called Highlights for Children. I don't know if any of you received that publication or or got it when you were younger. I remember uh, one of the first things that my sister and I would fight over is going to that page that had all the hidden things in it and wanting to circle it, and I wanted to get to it before my sister did. So it was sort of a source of strife sometimes in our household. But (laughs) one of the other things I remember about that publication is there was a cartoon called Goofus and Gallant. Anybody remember Goofus? And gallant? Some of you do? Okay. <laughs> well, it was, it was illustrated by a man named Gary Cleveland Myers, and it had simply two panels depicting the actions of two separate children. One's name was Goofus, and one's name was Gallant. And you can kind of tell by their names, you know, which was the one that you didn't want to be like. Well, Gallant's actions were always virtuous and respectful in contrast to Goofus's, which are always rude and selfish. For, for example, you know, Goofus would turn on the TV and wouldn't turn it off when company was there, and Gallant would always go and he would turn the TV off um, when company arrived. And one of the captions at the, the bottom of it would always say, we want to be like a Gallant. It was just a teaching uh, for young children. And the moral of the cartoon was to always strive to be like Gallant. And as Christians... Um, you know, we know that our aim is to be more Christ-like in everything we do. In fact, our sanctification is leading to that Christ-likeness that we should be exhibiting in our life. We're always straining forward towards the goal, that Christ is the mark. However, we are also provided with examples and scriptures of good, godly men who also patterned their lives after Christ. And we can look at them not as that ultimate pattern of Christ-like behavior, because only Christ could be that, but we look to their tangible actions as things that we also want to see in our own Christian walk. And we saw that last week with Gaius. Scripture provides us good examples of Christian character, but we also have provided for us some really bad examples, not Christian character, but non-Christ-like character, and we have that in Diotrephes. So let's contemplate the ways of the arrogant. Um, Let's look at this goofus, if you will, in Scripture, this Diotrephes, who is a real living example for us and someone in the church leadership. Verse 9, let's repeat it once more. I have written something to the church by Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. One of the things when we do consider these other characters in Scripture, the other characteristics in Scripture, is that we sometimes always want to think about other people that are like this. I know of geographies, or I, I see this in another person, but we should be looking to this and consider, is this me? Am I a diatrophies? Do I... 
in my life, is there a pattern of these kind of characteristics that are also seen in Diotrephes? And it seems that John has already written some instruction to Gaius' church. And that's not found as an epistle of scripture. We don't see it, but he references a letter here. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So either Diotrephes just didn't want to hear it if the church, if the letter was read. Some suggest that maybe even Diotrephes had intercepted the letter and did not allow it to be read, or he just uh, tossed it away and destroyed it. But simply put, Diotrephes is arrogant, and he rejects apostolic authority. John is an apostle. John is the elder. He's a leader of a church. And Scripture tells us that we are to submit to the authorities that God has put in place and those that are in the church. And there is a structure that comprises the church that God has also given us instruction for. And Diotrephes is arrogant, and he rejects all of it. The phrase that is used here, likes to put himself first, it translates as a participial form of a Greek verb here. There's two words, but they're, they're spoken all as one word. The Greek word is philoproteuo, philoproteuo, and it's a compound word. The first word is philos, and philos is love. It's a different Greek word. Uh, for love, we have been focused more on agape love, which is that godlike love, that love that overcomes circumstances, a love that loves in spite of. Philos love, uh, to describe it or define it in Greek, is a brother, brotherly kind of love. So we have that word philos combined with protos, and protos means first. So when we see that Diotrephes is described as someone who likes to put himself first, is that he really has a love for himself first. That is what John is describing here. Scripture is clear that Christ is the head of the church, right? We should be looking for Christ to be the one, again, that we aim for, that we strive to be more Christ-like. Diotrephes, in a sense, is attempting to even elevate himself above Christ, in his arrogance, in his self-centeredness, in his self-seekingness, he maybe unwittingly he is assuming this role in the church as the overarching authority of the church, attempting to usurp Christ's role as the head of the church, definitely usurping the other leadership in the church. And something that's also interesting about Diotrephes' name is that it is very uncommon. Gaius is a very common name in biblical times, but Diotrephes is not a very common name. Uh, The name means nourished by Zeus or foster child of Zeus. Um, You can kind of see that, uh, yeah, a Roman uh, false god uh, kind of being his source of nourishment that kind of rings true in his name. But some suggest that this was a name that was used exclusively for noble families, meaning he probably grew up in a home that was fairly well off. Maybe they were rich, and it could be that his arrogant behavior was maybe cultivated in that kind of environment, that he was able to always see himself and put himself first because they had a lot of material wealth. One who puts themselves first refuses to serve anyone, and they believe that others should serve them. And it demonstrates one who is likely unteachable, also unwilling to submit to authority and not committed to the word of God. 
says he did not want truth, does not acknowledge our authority. Their authority came from God. The authority that they had was clearly backed by the truth of Scripture, and he didn't want any of it. So arrogant and prideful was he. Well, there's more about his character to contemplate here, and that's in verse 10. So let's move forward. Verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. And John, as we've described already, he's an apostle, he's a leader of the church, and he's not going to put up with this prideful arrogance. One of the jobs of the elders of the church is to be on guard and be on the lookout for those who would come in as wolves into the flock to bring in maybe false teachings or to bring in this sinful pride and arrogance as we see Diotrephes was doing with the church here. And there's no place for it in the church and it is to be confronted. And John is confronting it. He's confronting it with this letter and if need be, he is willing to come and he is going to do it face to face. We find Paul writing instruction to the church where he expresses his willingness. If, if this letter and this is not strongly worded enough, I will come there in person. I will deal with it myself. And John is willing to do that. And that is how error and that is how sin is to be confronted in the church. It's also not known what Diotrephes' position was in the church. Was, was he selected as an elder of the church or was he just someone who put himself in a position of leadership due to his high societal position? Uh, since it's not clearly spelled out for us here, we can only assume that we can get into dangerous territory when we assume things outside of Scripture, but you know, it could be how he assumed a position of leadership. But John is exposing him here. And not only is Diotrephes elevating himself above the leadership, he is also speaking slanderous things against the leadership. He's talking wicked nonsense against us is what John says. This could be described as slander. Slander is bringing false accusations against someone. It's trying to get people to believe something about someone that isn't true. It's trying to damage their character with false words. In Psalm chapter 50, if you want to turn there with me, verses 16 through 20. Psalm 50, sorry, verse 16 through 20. We have a pretty good description of a diatrophies in this text. So I wanted to bring it in this morning. Psalm 50 and verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Those who desire to elevate themselves will often try and assassinate another's character. In so doing, they expose their own evil hearts. Jesus would tell about this kind of person in Psalm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 through 20, when we see what exposes a person's heart is seen in their character, Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, 
false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The Diotrephes is not content with what we have already seen. The nature of his heart is also seen in his lack of hospitality towards the brethren. So he elevates himself. He does not listen to any authority. He really rejects the word of God. And then he also refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Unlike the hospitable Gaius, Diotrephes refuses to welcome in Christian travelers and show them hospitality. We read in history about the itinerant uh, preachers, the apostles. They would go out. They would go from city to city. They would establish churches. They would preach the gospel. And it was Christian hospitality to bring them in, to give them a meal, to give them a place to stay. Gaius was serving in this capacity. Now, we need to be careful and couch this with knowing what we know from Second John, where he warns about not taking in the bad company, those who are teaching error. So be careful about one who presents himself as a teacher of the word, when in actuality they're teaching error. We're not to show them hospitality. But these are, are those who are teaching God's truth, and we're to show them hospitality. But in opposing that instruction, clear instruction from God's word, Diotrephes refuses to welcome anyone in and show them hospitality. He was preventing others even from doing so. So he wouldn't do it himself. He prevented others from doing so. And so he was acting out in clear disobedience to God's word. We know that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, and part of that is showing that Christian hospitality. It's not an affirmation of sin. It's not an affirmation of false teaching, but being a welcoming host to those that are in the faith. And it is suggested by some kind of commentators that Gaius was one, who, one of those who Diotrephes had put out of the church. That he had placed himself in this position of leadership, and as a supposed leader in the church, he had caused Gaius to leave the church, maybe even elected him out of the church. And again, that's something we don't find for sure in Scripture, but because John is having to write Gaius of what is going on with Diotrephes, it seems that he's lost some connection with the church that is going on there, and perhaps that is because he was excommunicated. Um, And there's also the threat here from Diotrephes, it's seen in what John's writing about him, that he threatens with excommunication, which is why John is writing Gaius on the things that are going on in the church. Throwing people out of the church if they don't agree with what he says and what he does. Now, regardless of how we got to this place of how he got to this place of power, his character is inhospitable, it's unloving, and it exercises he exercises an overbearing and a dictatorial kind of leadership. And so when we consider Diotrephes, as I mentioned before, it's not to consider him and think about who else we know in our, in our lives might be a diatrophies, but it's to ask ourselves also, is this me? Is this my character? Am I a Gaius or am I a diatrophies? Look at verse 11 now with me. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So this is an exhortation from John to Gaius to commit yourself to imitate good, to keep on pressing on. 
harsh company CEOs in this world, you know, they may benefit, companies may benefit from a strong financially performing company and sometimes there's leaders of those company CEOs that can be ruthless, you know, get ahead at all costs, they can trample over people, they can elevate themselves and that might make for a good worldly successful business model in some instances, but that's not what we look to to guide us in selecting leaders for the church. We look to God's truth. We want to look for those that exhibit characteristics like a Gaius and not a Diotrephes. In fact, when we select elders at this church, we haven't selected many, but the test is how do they match up with what Scripture tells us a leader should be. And turn in Titus chapter 1 with me, verses 5 through 11. Because we know some things about Gaius, and I think there is more expanded on here that would tell us the type of heart that he has, the type of character that he is, and what we also want to look for in godly leadership. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Paul giving instruction to Titus on how to select leaders, the the qualities to look for. He says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. We'll stop there. In all of these characteristics of a godly leader that Paul lists for Titus and his selection of leaders within the church, we can see that Diotrephes does not match up with any of these. He is not a good steward. One would not say that he is above reproach He is arrogant. He's quick-tempered. We don't know about it, whether he's a drunkard or not, or violent or greedy for gain, certainly. But many of these things that is to be seen in a godly leader are not seen in a diatrophies. He is the example of one who is imitating evil. And Gaius is the example of the one who John says is imitating good. Believers are to commit themselves to that, to imitate good. We are to be good examples in a world around us that is full of diatrophies. I don't know if that's the plural form of diatrophies, but we'll just go with that. We have so much opportunity to be a positive influence on those around us. And that's not just for here in the church. Many of you have workplaces that you go into on, on Mondays, places where you serve other people. Many of you have homes. Well, I hope you do. And you have people in your home that you influence we have so much and how damaging it can be if we exhibit character of a diatrophies. 
We don't take Christ's place as the ultimate example of every Christian, but we want to glorify Him in our walk and serve as an example to others. Gaius was serving as an example to others. Paul says that we also should serve as examples. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 16 and 19, Philippians 3, verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. He says, join me and imitating me and you yourselves walk according to the example that I have given you. As we walk in examples, others can look to us, but we all look to Christ, who is the author, who is the perfecter of our faith, who is the one that we pattern our lives after, but recognize that there are going to be those looking at us to see if we are living out our Christian walk and what kind of example are we setting in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church. Do we exhibit one who is striving to do good? And that is evidence of a new birth. Are we motivated by hearts committed to God, loving God by putting on display our obedience to Him and His Word? Because, as I mentioned before, our ultimate aim is Christ. If you back up in Philippians chapter 3, just before what Paul wrote that we read Just a second ago, he says in verse 12 of Philippians 3, Not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Coming back to 3 John, verse 12. We're almost wrapped up here. Verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So another person is being brought in here as an example for Gaius, it's to consider the testimony of someone who is a praiseworthy person, someone that is like Gaius. Demetrius is one who is demonstrating outwardly this imitation of good. And John may have been encouraging Gaius and using Demetrius to let him know that he was not alone. If Gaius, in fact, had been excommunicated from the church, maybe by Diotrephes or somehow lost the connection, it could have been that he felt like he was the only one. You know, maybe the others had started to fall into error. They were going after Diotrephes' teaching, but he, Gaius needed to be reminded by John that he was not alone in this. You know, some of us can feel rejected and we can feel abandoned by others when we did nothing wrong. And maybe that was where Gaius was. And it helps us to know that there are others that continue to persevere alongside us in the faith. And perhaps it is even that Demetrius was someone that Gaius had discipled. And this would be an encouragement for him to know that he was walking in obedience. I think of the many that, you know, 
lives that I've intersected and I've ministered to in the past and we're part of other churches and bringing these huge groups to these youth events and I know I've spoken bad about this in the past where there was these false assurances of salvation by many of them and you see hundreds and hundreds of lives impacted emotionally but to actually have that take root in the heart and see them walking with God, continuing that in their, into their life, there were very few of those, but God brings those to mind. And those are the ones that we need to look to to remind us that God is still doing the work. God is still saving people. Even when many fall away and do not exhibit genuine faith, there are still those that God will, will remind us about that encourage us also in our faith and in our Christian walk. Yeah, I was thinking, um, oh, just yesterday, <laughs> there, how much of an impact that we're having by going out and, and serving a meal. And sometimes you can get discouraged if you're not seeing you know, lives impacted and changed. And I get home and I get a text from this gentleman a couple years ago that we had seen at the park. We had had an opportunity to pray with him and to minister to him, to provide him a little bit of work and to now hear about him and his family being reunited together, um, has a good job, and is just really seeming to thrive, and just reminding me of how important it was that we were there for him in that time of need. And I know that was God just, again, reminding us that sometimes the things that we do, we can feel like they're for naught, but there is actually being something done there, even when we can't see it. Demetrius's character here, Again, coming back to him and him being a reminder to Gaius that there's an impact. <laughs> His character has been confirmed by others. There's three things about it. He's, he had a good testimony from everyone. Everybody in the church was seeing it. They could, they could tell Gaius themselves. More than that, the word of God confirms his character. He says, and from the truth itself. So as we read in, in Titus, these characteristics that's truth that will affirm someone's character, whether or not they are in alignment with the word. So John is telling Gaius that Demetrius is, is this kind. God's word affirms it. And then also the faithful leadership themselves affirmed his character because John says we also add our testimony. We can tell you that this is a faithful man of God. Take heart, be encouraged by him. Verse 13, 14 and 15, we'll wrap this up here in the conclusion I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Fellowship involves more than just written communication. We see John closing his letter in 2 John in much the same way. I long to be with you face to face. There is a desire it should be a desire for that personal interaction of believers to be together, to share in the faith with one another, and it includes prayer and affectionate regard for those in Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I read this at the end of our teaching of Second John, but I think it's good to remind ourselves here again the importance of the face-to-face interaction of the church. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So today we've got an opportunity to consider Gaius and to consider Diotrephes. And I find that in this world that many of the Gaius type of virtues have been set aside 
for a more modern, anything-goes kind of lifestyle. I sometimes lament about this, and I know that God has it under control. But over the past few months, it seems like a lot of my conversations I've had with others is about the fact that even common decency and general, general morality, even among those who are non-Christian in our faith, that that has been discarded, that it's been set aside. The things that I grew up with, the things being an 80s and a 90s child, and just that there seemed to be more of a common decency among most people. But the more society and the fallen world just spirals towards its end, I see these things you know, being set aside and replaced. The more society has fallen, there is the growing of the championing of ideas and ideologies that are outright sinful and even disgusting. The goofus is chosen over the gallant. Love, goodness, kindness, hospitality are quickly being replaced by a self-seeking lifestyle of a get-all-you-can-get-out-of-this-life-while-you-can. Scripture gives us some, so much more than a couple of cartoon panels here to consider to see which one we are. We are provided with real people dealing with real struggles, living real lives in this world. Diotrephes, I hope, is one that you do not identify with. I hope it is none that you are not like, at least in a continuous way. While all of us can struggle at times with selfishness and pride, I myself struggle with that too. We want to be convicted and quickly bring those before God in confession and prayer. When we're not convicted by those things, when we're not confronting the pride in our own lives and the arrogance, then that should call things into question in terms of our salvation. Maybe we are a diatrophies. Let us evaluate ourselves with Scripture. Gaius is one I hope that we can identify with. Always seeking to demonstrate love to others in truth. Kind, hospitable, and loving those who are in the body of Christ. And it's been a blessing to walk with you through the first John, second, and third John, through all of his letters. And looking back, it's kind of interesting to me that the first letter is directed more to the church as a whole. And then you get to the second letter. And it's going out to a lady and her family. And then you get to the third letter and it's directed to an individual. It's almost like bringing it from 20,000 foot perspective, bringing it on down and now landing to the individual. And at least that's kind of my view on it and what I've been, uh, you know, kind of thinking about and pondering as I've been studying these letters with you. A thing we can include though is that we will never know All we need to know about God-type love, this agape love. Studying 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's been such a rich teaching on this love and truth. And even though we'll never know all that we can know about it, our life's pursuit should be to grow more in it, to look to his word, to instruct us in it, because it can only be his love if it is connected to his truth. I want to close with this Passage of verses from 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us this time. I don't know how many months that we've been looking at the letters of John, but how rich they are in their teaching and their meaning. I pray that we have been faithful to it, God, in teaching it and expounding on it rightly. And the only things that you want us to remember are the things that we will remember, that you will infuse these truths upon our hearts. And as you infuse them there, that we would begin to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, God, recognizing we cannot do this on our own. We need your strength. We need your life. We need your love within us. And that can only be had through relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. I pray if there's anyone here that has been working for their salvation, they have tried time after time to be rid of an addiction in their life, to try to set aside arrogance and selfish gain, that God, you remind them that the only way we can rid ourselves of these things is through a relationship with you, that you must renew our hearts, you must regenerate us and restore us back into a right relationship with you. Otherwise, we just turn back to our sin. Father, I thank you for the time of teaching that you gave to us and the children and what it is to repent, and we all need to be reminded of that, that when we are convicted of our sin, that we confess it before you, recognizing that you are the one that took it, let us not play the blame game and try to blame our troubles and our sin on someone else, but confronting our own sin and coming to agreement with you about that. Recognizing there is only one way we can be free of our sin. That is through faith in Jesus Christ and his propitiation upon the cross. And God, by his overcoming death, we too can have life in him. Help us to understand that life. Help us to come to you in faith and allow you to work in us all of your good and work out of us all of your good. Help us to be imitators of that and not for evil. Lord, we pray this and ask it in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.